Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode eight. I don't remember what episode we're on. I think we're on episode eight. Um, Whoops, it's actually episode nine. Sorry, guys. Of the Limelight Podcast. And today we are going to be talking to Dr. Sloan about her sisters and biofilms and clearing up some confusion about those topics. So without further ado, hi, Dr. Sloan. Hello, Maddie. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Um, so I guess, you know, let's just jump right into kind of the basics. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately um, on, the, on the feeds, um, on the socials, about persister forms and SOT and, um, you know, historically, Lyme literate doctors have really been uh, struggling to treat and fight these biofilm persister forms of Lyme. Um, and, you know, typically it's something that is a challenge for people to treat. Um, there's been some questions of whether or not SOT is able to work even despite biofilms and persisters. Um, so we just want to clear that up. So let's start out. Can you explain what a biofilm is and what a persister form is? So we're all on the same page. So if, if you look up any document on persisters, as well as biofilm, but especially persisters, you will find that a persister form of a spirochete is only due to its shifting of something that makes it change its, its form or replication sequence. So we posted a document not too long ago that shows that a persister is only persister because in response to an antibiotic, it shifts into a persister. So mm -hmm. spirochetes change form due to pH imbalances, to pH changes, to environmental changes. Spirochetes change form even due to response of other vector diseases like Epstein-Barr virus and cytomegalovirus. So spirochetes are super, super du duper evasive and they can change to forms all the time that are different than the original form. But a persister only exists because it is trying to shift from antibiotic. So we only have persisters and apparently according to documents I've just looked at, it's maybe 1% of the entire uh, percentage of the spirochetes in your body at that time. And biofilms only exist because spirochetes are running into a form to hide from antibiotics also, mm -hmm. or other changes in the human body. And that there's like maybe 10 different things that, that, that we can do to our body. Even hyperthermia will shift spirochete temperature changes. Like I said, nutritional changes, other disease changes, uh, they, they shift and they change. So they're really only there as a response of the treatment. So my patient, that's why it's so easy for, for me to treat patients that haven't been um, antibiotically treated for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So there's not so much of that biofilm and persisters. Not that it doesn't work, it just takes a little bit longer to get through all those different phases of things. So, you know, I've seen that video where the spirochete's swimming along and the antibiotic comes in and then all of a sudden it like curls up into a ball 
correct. Very terrifying, honestly, to watch. And then imagine like that being in your body, like, ooh. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, so that is, is that what's happening when a biofilm is forming? It's like seeing the threat of the antibiotic and being like, okay, I'm going to go do this now. Yeah, so that, that, that um, we should post that. It's a really, okay. really, really cool, to me, it's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> um, YouTube that anybody can see. And you can see that the, um, the spirochetes hanging out and when exposed to the antibiotic on um, the slide, you see it moving a little bit and then it forms a blip and it pulls all the DNA of its form into the middle and falls up to cis form. And it's within probably 30 seconds. Yeah. So, so now it's hidden. Now it's a persister or maybe it's going dormant because all the genetics are on the inside of it and it's protecting itself, but it's still living. Right. Okay. It's still living. So SOT works by two different methods and everybody needs to understand this. SOT does stop replication sequences. A persister, which is really dormant, a dormant spirochete that's not replicating very quickly or has inhibited re replication is still alive. Right. So it needs fluid from the human body to, to stay alive and it still has DNA. So it, SOT molecules work through that like it's, like it's not even there. Like we, we can see a spirochete under a microscope, but we can't see genetics. The SOT Molecules are so, 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 so tiny. We can't see them with a microscope. Right. So a biofilm, a persister, anything that is in the body has, is exchanging metabolism to the body. So it has to go through these molecules, which SOT antisense is uh, made for that patient from that Borrelia sequence, RNA sequence, 500 million to 1 billion copies. And there are some, some they're surrounded with a synthetic messenger RNA, so they stay alive once they go through the cell. That's why they last for up to six months. They're so cool. I love those little, little guys. So that's, um, you know, I, I think I read something that was talking about um, in these biofilms, they almost create like little, I mean, it's honest, it, to me, it's mind blowing how incredibly intelligent these little bacterium are. Um, yeah. because they have like a whole respiration system where they're still like bringing in fluid to like for nutrients and they're excreting toxins. So you're still getting toxins being pumped into your body from these little balls of biofilm, even though your immune system can't recognize them anymore. Correct. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a lipophilic. So it's a, it, it makes a fat layer around the biofilm, which they're having like a party in there. Um, this is kind of a big statement, but using antibiotics to kill Borrelia, which is super, super, super persistent, maybe even more persistent than MRSA. Okay. So it's equatable to like using chemotherapy to kill cancer. I mean, you honestly almost have to kill your patient with chemotherapy right. to kill the cancer. So you almost have to like antibiotic someone to death. Think right. about your gut bacteria. Our gut bacteria and the bacteria in the human body outnumbers our cells 10 to 1. So we have like 10 trillion cells in the human body. 
50, 60, 70, 80 trillion bacteria cells in the human body. So you literally have to kill almost all the bacteria in the human body to maybe affect a spirochetes bacterium, which is very resistant because they hide in a lipophilic form. So non-lipophilic antibiotics do not work. So from, and let me know if I'm correct in this assumption. So the antibiotic can only kill the spirochete when it is replicating, right? No, the, the antibiotic can, can, so the antibiotics that are non-lipophilic, like doxycycline, right. they, they're bacteria, they're in a form, they can kill live spirochetes in the blood. But remember- so is that is that all the time? Because I remember there being some, like there was something about Lyme where the, the reason that it was so hard to treat and you had to treat it for so long with antibiotics because the life cycle was however many days. Yeah, and then, then it hides in, in biofilm because if you give a non-lipophilic antibiotic like doxy, it's gonna hide in biofilm. So doxy is non-lipophilic. Right. Minocycline is lipophilic. But if you get early Lyme and you use minocycline you may have more side effects and symptoms you may not feel very well so a wonderful american conclusions to that problem is to not use minocycline because you feel bad when you take it to use doxy because you feel better when you take it and in two weeks you're cured of lying right not really. but what you've really done is every time that antibiotic is coming to a lime spirochete it's really teaching that lime spirochete how to hide yep so essentially there's really no because i get what i'm trying to understand is how the antibiotic would work at all but basically what you're saying is it's much more likely that if you're taking a non-lipophilic antibiotic and that antibiotic encounters a spirochete it's way more likely to teach that spirochete to go into a biofilm than it is to destroy that spirochete Yes, it's a defensive mechanism. So maybe you do kill some in the in the blood that are floating through, but the other ones are going to hide in the in the biofilm in dormant or persisters. And persisters are only there because of antibiotic therapies or hyperthermia or other things that it wants to move away from its normal milieu and change its shape. So it's a very intelligent very intelligent bacteria. It has the longest DNA cycle of any sequence of any bacteria in the human body. It's the smartest bacteria in the human body. And, you know, it, it's, um, it has a lot of intelligence and it can hide in many shapes and forms and it can, it can shape shift except from genetic molecules that are tiny teeny tiny little parts and pieces when you see a spirochete which everybody can see online mm -hmm. you're really 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 far away from looking inside of it into a cell into the nucleus and seeing a small oligonucleotide called a scent strand go from the nucleus DNA, the, the nucleus releases the scent strand, which is a very tiny oligonucleotide sequence that hits the ribosome within the cell and the ribosome makes another copy. It's kind of, you know, I, 
it's something that I've struggled with is just wrapping my head around the scale of things because I think we all just kind of think, oh, I can't, it's like, you know, micro, it's all tiny, but then we don't understand, and I don't really think they teach this well. Um, in terms of microbiology, there are so many different sizes of things that it's even more vast than, you know, something you might be able to comprehend is how much bigger the sun is from the earth. But yeah. even that is crazy, a huge difference, but that's even more, like a hundredfold difference yeah. between a, a piece of DNA and a bacteria. A million fold. Yeah. I mean, it's so, mind boggling. Just for perspective, and I'm not sure if this may work, but I like cool facts. I think you and I are both just human factoids. I can't even have like normal conversation in public anymore. It's got to be science or I need a chart. Um, if, if the human body walks into a, a 5,000 square foot building, you are the nucleus and the electrons are the wall. There's that much space just in that and in, in that thought. But so we try to say this, if a cell, if a cell inside a microbe is as big as the United States of America, then the DNA may be size of a top of the piece of a grass. Wow. All right. So SOT molecules are so small, the immune system doesn't recognize them. Right. They're very, very short oligonucleotides. And if you want to give this some research, you have to Google anti-sense, S-E-N-S-E, oligonucleotide or YouTube that, not SOT. So the Germans and the Swedes came up with this ability to turn off RNA sequences many, many years ago, like 30 years ago. And they didn't know how to make it from the person's own stuff on RNA sequences. So they were just using off the shelf stuff for every disease. So it wasn't specific to the target. So then it didn't have the same, um, so it had more side effects because it may get into your human genome and inhibit some replication there. Whereas RGCC has advanced that from antisense AOT to SOT. So they distance the language just to make sure that they know that now it's short oligonucleotide short oligonucleotide therapy and is specific to the patient from the patient from the target that we tell them to target for looking for that RNA sequence. Cool. Maybe I got way off question there, but it would be like if you needed an organ transplant and instead of getting it from a different person that passed away, someone cloned you and made your own organ in a lab. Yeah, sure. I like that. <laughs> I to translate my. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any. That might not make sense to anyone else, but that you know, whatever. Um, but that's you know, that's that clears things up a little bit for me. And I know you know I've even tried to find out the scale of just the spirochetes are so unimaginably small, and the scale yeah. of viruses versus 
even bacteria is so incredibly different. So the whole realm of microbiology is, you know, there's, there's as many shapes and sizes of things in the tiny realm as there are in the realm of things that we can see. Yeah, so, so people that are looking under a microscope see a spirochete, I'm very disillusioned by that because I have a really, really nice Nikon microscope and I can see things that kind of look spirochete-ish and you'll have practitioners say they can see them all the time, but um, they're almost as big as a red blood cell, which is five microns. Um, these things are much, 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 much smaller. They're, they're size of viruses. And they can, um, the interesting thing about a spirochete, of course, you know, it goes this way and that way. It can drill into hard tissue. So it can move through human tissue at a quarter of a centimeter in two hours. And not through your blood system, it's through tissue systems but they're itty bitty. So they made a really, really intelligent bug. And, and I say this to patients very, very easily. I would not be treating Lyme as a chronic disease, integrative ecologist and autoimmune physician if I didn't have SOT because I'm not gonna sit here and pulse antibiotics back and forth. And, um, maybe palliatively make you feel better and i'm not quite ready but maybe i'm getting there to say that if you do all these antibiotics over time when you do feel better i don't even really think it's having a kill effect on a spirochete it's, it's having a hiding effect yeah and then later we see all the so see the autoimmune precursors start to pick up so when i see a patient if they feel like I saw a gentleman today from North Carolina. He's probably listening. His wife is a really, really awesome health practitioner. Um, he's super smoking hot wine. And he even has um, brain antibodies because now we can actually test blood antibodies to see if you're having your immune system go through parts of your brain before an MRI would show that you have MS. So I can see myelin antibody, tubulin antibody, glian antibody, cerebellum antibody, and there's one more. Oh, Ooh. no, it just went away. Um, there's one more. So I can see five antibodies to see if the, your immune system has a, it's not a tat, but like gone through that part of the tissue. So it had really high myelin antibody. But it's only complaint right now is that towards the end of the day, my legs feel weak. And I said, well, if I did an MRI on your brain, I probably wouldn't see demyelization big enough to call it MS, but the weakness in your legs may turn into weakness early in your legs and then a the foot drop. And then eventually we could call it MS. Right. So we can test these things very accurately today. So the spirochetes, you know, after a tick bite, the spirochete can be found within every tissue in the human body within 72 hours. That's crazy. The, the, you say the antibody can be found? Sorry, the spirochete, no, the spirochete can be found within every tissue in the human body within 72 hours. So if you get a tick bite, any place that you test in 72 hours, you got a spirochete. Tick, yeah. 
the spirochete. We can, we can test human tissue all over. Um, they replicate quickly, some slowly. It's seemingly like a cancer cell. And we're just very, very fortunate to have this treatment that wasn't even something that was on my radar at all because I treat integrative oncology and RGCC. Um, 95% of what they do is research and development for the latest and greatest targeted immunotherapy and SOT for cancer. And it was a few years later, they said, oh, by the way, um, here's this email. We can do SOTs for these other viruses. So they call Borrelia virus. Mm -hmm. And if you try to argue with them, you're stupid. Because Borrelia in a lab is a virus. You mean in a, in a, in a, in a person? Yeah, Borrelia in a laboratory setting when they study it is a virus. That's so it's interesting. Virulent. So when we when we check the box for an SOT, it's a viral agonist. Why? I know you've answered this question before, but I'm forgetting. Why is it that they consider? Because it's much bigger than a typical virus. It has more. DNA than a typical virus. Why is it considered a virus? It's virulent. It has to work within the cell. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's using, it's classified as a virus if it's using your cells to replicate. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, give, a, I'll, I'll give a call to Penos at RGCC and let him explain this. And then we'll all be dumbfounded because his intelligence makes us all look like kindergartners. That would be awesome. We should have him. We should have him on the podcast. That'd be so fun. We will. We will. We will. That'd be really cool. Yes. Um, what was I going to ask you? I think, um, you know, I mean, all of this very much rings true for what my experience has been. Um, because, you know, I, before I met you, I was on tons of antibiotics, tons, tons, like five different ones, antibiotics. Um, and I was on, you know, I was doing the cyst busters. And, um, you know, all of that stuff. And I ended up, it, it just completely killed my gut flora. So that honestly, I think a lot of my symptoms from bad gut flora right. outweighed the symptoms of the Lyme. And right. then, you know, it, after about two years of doing antibiotics, I did feel better, but it wasn't, I wasn't myself and I had never been myself. I never was back to normal until the SOT. Yes. So I'm just wondering, like, seriously. This isn't, this is a thought to ponder. Do you feel better because of antibiotics or do you feel, feel better? Cause eventually you just feel better, you know? Well, that's, I mean, I, I really do think, um, because I actually took myself off antibiotics when I was, you know, I was, um, under the care of Joseph Jemsek, who's a, you know, very well-renowned Lyme doctor. He's, he's um, a great guy. Yep. Yeah. Very wonderful person. Um, but I was on, you know, so I was working with him and then another doctor that lived like a few hours away from me in Georgia. And this of course was in 2009 or something, you know, right. um, no, no one was Lyme literate. No one knew that there was Lyme disease existed. It was very hard for me to get a diagnosis. Um, but you know, the only thing that they had was antibiotics. So they just, you know, I, I did doxycycline for a month. And me too. That's all I had was antibiotics, IV, right. vitamin C. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Well, mm -hmm. I didn't even do any of the, I mean, I was doing 
herbal stuff. I was doing, I mean, I had like a, like a plastic file cabinet box that was like this big that I, I mean, I was taking like a hundred pills a day. It was awful. Right. Um, and I just felt so just sick to my stomach all the time. I couldn't eat anything. I would literally toward the end, I would wake up in the morning and drink like two ounces of Pepto-Bismol because I just felt like I was on the verge of puking constantly. You're a candida girl now. Oh, it was ah, candida coming out my ears. It was awful. Um, and so I, I did, I finally, I was just like, I can't, I can't take these antibiotics. And, and I was so, I'd lost so much weight. I was like just frail and sad looking. It was awful. Um, and I was just was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get off of them. And I tried getting off of them once and I immediately had a flare. So I went back on and then like a month later, I just kind of had this feeling. I was like, all right, it's time. It's time to go off. And I went off and it didn't come back. But at that point, I, you know, I'd gotten a lot of other, I was doing a lot of herbal therapies. I had my diet really under control. I didn't know how to eat healthy before this, this whole experience for me taught me how to eat healthy. Um, You know, so I started going gluten-free. I started doing all this other stuff for my health that probably enabled my immune system to keep up with the virus on its own. So I don't think it was the antibiotics. That's part of the Lyme journey is getting healthy. Yeah. Like healthy overall for everything. That's why, that's why that we have such good success with SOT and other clinics may not. And I'm still disappointed that we don't have the data. Um, we're getting data to look at our success rate, um, treating the whole person. See my text? Versus just being an SOT clinic. I am not an SOT clinic. I'm an integrative practitioner that specializes in chronic disease. I have been in business 21 years. We don't advertise. Our phone rings off the hook, and it's based on testimonials because we fix people no matter what we need to fix. And by the way, if you have Lyme, we have a treatment for that, and, and, and we've set in motion a sequence that can make you feel better for many different reasons. So like in your case, this is interesting. I think I've posted this before. If you look on your, your test, MDL or whatever, the Western blot is a test to test how well your immune system reacts to the outer surface proteins, A and B. Guess what that is? Fungus. It's a fungus. So the spirochete, when the immune system jumps onto it, it shoots off a flare, and that's a fungal ball. Super smart. So maybe antifungals would diminish their flare, and you could actually have better immune attack. Um, and we're going to get better and better. We may move on from SOT. I don't know, because it's, you know. It's pretty awesome. I don't, I don't think you should move on from SOT. I really like it. <laughs> something better comes up. So, but the thing is, like, maybe... So a lot of patients need to know that success for an SOT isn't just that they start to feel better right away. It's the fact that their neurodegeneration or their, their autoimmune variants stop getting worse. Right. And that, that after those four months, do we know that there's damage? They're not getting worse, but they're in their healing phase. 
So now we're going to work with stem cells in healing the body using peptides and things like that to make to make patients better. Um, so there's there's many ways to look at healing post SRT. We still, I think, we've done 550 or more, mm -hmm. um, and still less than 25 patients twice. And awesome. my patients aren't disappearing. Um, our patients, even if they're not better, they still come back because they know we have more things to do and have more things to take care of. So it, it's not SOT one and done. Right. Well, I mean, even for me, like, I, I mean, I've had a phenomenal experience with SOT, but I wouldn't, you know, I still am not going to start like eating McDonald's. And I've still dealt with, you know, I know that my body's in a, in a, I mean, I've been sick for 10 years and I've had these little corkscrews making holes in my tissue for 10 years. So I recognize that, you know, it's probably going to take a few years to fully heal my, my insides. And I still ha take really good care of myself. I still get a lot of sleep. I still take supplements. I still eat really healthy. Diet for me has been like the, the biggest thing other than SOT in my whole journey has been diet. And I will preach that till the cows come home. It is so critical. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. I think it's, it's not, that's like all of these things are tools that you have in your toolkit. And SOT just happens to be a really great tool. It's a great tool, but it's not the only thing that's going to fix the problem. Absolutely. Um, and if you get any more healthy and your brain gets any better, we may have to move you to a, like Mars or something. Probably. Well, I, you know, I feel like maybe I'm, that's why I'm just weird is, uh, you know, I only can have conversations about science with you because I, I'm, I have holes in my brain and like the social acceptance and yeah. like non awkwardness sections. I'm not good at a, a get together. Yeah. It's all, it's the corkscrew. I blame it on the, the viruses in my brain. Uh. <laughs> Why I'm awkward, whatever. <laughs> but you know, I think, uh, I think it's, it, it sounds great to say and to, especially if you haven't been in this journey for a long time, like if you've only had Lyme for a couple of years um, and it hasn't turned into a lifestyle for you yet, um, it's awesome to think, oh, I'm just going to get this SOT and my life is going to go back to the way it was before. But if you were eating fast food, if you were, you know, not getting enough sleep, if you had a really stressful job, um, you know, if you had candida issues, like all of these things, you know, if you live in a moldy house, all of these things are still going to be factors that are going to prevent you from, from healing. And so you kind of have to, you know, the Lyme journey for everyone really should be focusing on a journey of like how to make myself a healthy human being for the rest of my life. It's a right. lifestyle it is. change. It is. It, it's like, through my trial and tribulations to get to this point, that's why I do antifungals up front. There are three buckets of bugs. And this is where we start another episode right here. <laughs> three buckets of bugs, the fungal bucket, the virus bucket, and the bacteria bucket. And I want to make sure that we're okay in all these buckets. And then over here in this one, your hormones, 
your home. I mean, we start getting what into about the histamine the bucket? Histamines. <laughs> histamine. I'll tell you what, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that one. Okay, right. wait. Well, let's let's we're coming up on 30 minutes now. So this is actually perfect. Let's end this episode. This is gonna be the end of our persister episode. I hope that answered everybody's questions. Um, and I hope you guys learned more about biofilms and persisters and why you should have confidence in SOT, even if you're worried about biofilms, it doesn't matter. SOT gets through because it's tiny. Um, and let's end this one for now and we'll do another episode. And that piece that I sent you from the Lime Group answers a lot of these questions. So yeah. we can go through that again. With so that. I'm gonna post along with this video, um, I'll post what Dr. Sloan wrote um, to also answer some of these questions. So by now, whether you like to read or listen or watch or absorb, I don't know, however you like to get information in your head, we have an answer for you. <laughs> we hope. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, but yeah, and obviously, um, if you guys still have questions, um, email thelimelightpod at gmail.com and we will answer your questions on the show. And we have a new episode coming up, lots more episodes. I know we're behind on answering your questions, but we're getting there. Um, so thank you guys for watching and we'll see you on the next one. Yes, peace.